sweet little Jesus boy, they made you be born in a Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes was blind, we couldn't see. We didn't know Long time ago, you were born, born in a manger, Lord, sweet little Jesus boy, the you mean, Lord, treats me mean too. But that's how things are down here. We didn't know told us how and we are trying master you have shown us how even when you were dying just seems like we can't do right. Look how we treated you. But please, sir, forgive us, Lord. We didn't know it was you. Jesus boy, born a long time ago, sweet little holy child, we didn't know It was in December of 1903 
that after many attempts, the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, were finally successful in getting their flying machine, as they called it, off the ground. And uh, it actually got into the air at Kitty Hawk and thrilled over this accomplishment. They telegraphed, that's like the text messaging of the day, um, they, they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper with all of her excitement and showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, How nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He totally missed the big news that for the first time in human history, man had actually flown, went right over his head, just saw the the coming home for Christmas part, missed the big message. And the question for us is, as we enter Christmas season, is this, have we missed out on the real message? Are we missing the magnitude of Jesus being Emmanuel, and all that that means, all that goes into that. Are we missing it? Is it going over our heads? Another question is, are we, you and me, personally, actually experiencing that reality, the reality of Emmanuel, God with us? Are we actually experiencing that every day? Or... Is it relegated to a period of a few weeks, one time a year, and we're in that time of year again, so yeah, we're going to think about it, we're going to focus on it, we're going to celebrate it, we're going to sing about it, we're going to talk about Emmanuel. And then once the season goes away, so does our focus. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And that's the question we're, we're going to be asking ourselves throughout this series with us. God with us, Emmanuel, experiencing Emmanuel every day. That's our goal. That's our focus of these next few weeks because that's entirely the point of Emmanuel. Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us, not just to be focused on for a certain amount of time, not to be celebrated and then forgotten. Rather, he came to be encountered and experienced and engaged with every single day. Every single moment. And that's what's available to you and to me. And that's what we're going to celebrate together. That's what we're going to focus on and remember. We just saw Matthew 1, the uh, important challenge to Joseph to not do what he was thinking, but to, to keep going on with his intention of marrying Mary and raising her son Jesus and, and all that that was going to be. And Thankfully, Joseph did that. Thankfully, he got to experience what it was to truly know Emmanuel and have Emmanuel in his own life and to be part of that story. And there's so much about what that means, that Jesus became man. The one who had existed for all of eternity, coming into our world and our experience and what it means that he was and is Emmanuel. And there's so much to that. And there's a lot that we don't think about. And there's a lot that we, we glance over or, or just neglect entirely. 
And there's one passage that really kind of pulls the veil back for us, and it shows us some of the things surrounding Jesus being Emmanuel, some of the the things that were true at the time that he was coming into our world and, and into our experience. And it's not a passage that usually is looked at or thought of as a Christmas passage, but it should be, uh, because it's all about what happened with Jesus and him being Emmanuel. That passage that I want us to look at together is John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, we'll, we'll focus here at first on verses 10 and 11. John 1, 10 and 11. John writes this of Jesus, of Emmanuel. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. John 1, 1 through 3 tells us that. Colossians 1 tells us that. Hebrews 1 tells us that. That Jesus was actually the creator. In Genesis 1, you know, when, when the, the Bible says, God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, and there, and there was, right? Jesus is the word that made that happen. Jesus is the the let there be. He's the action that made that actually come to be. John 1 verse 1 tells us that, that Jesus is known as the Word. He's the eternal Word of the Father. He was with God in the beginning, and He was God. That doesn't mean He was the same person as the Father. Three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. One divine being, though. One divine nature shared among the three. And Jesus, is, as the second person of the Trinity, as the Word, is the one who actually made everything come to be. He's the author of creation. And here's what John says about that. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. They didn't relate to him. They didn't experience him. Him. They didn't recognize him. So I asked Matthew to do that wonderful song just a few moments ago, Sweet Little Jesus Boy. We didn't know who you were. That's exactly what was going on. Here is Jesus, God the Son, the eternal Word, the one who made everything, the author and sustainer and ruler of all creation, coming into creation to redeem it, to rescue it. And yet, they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. He goes on. He came to his own. That's literally his own domain. It's it's the king coming to his own dominion, to his own rightful subjects, to his very own possession, his by, by rights. But look what it says. And his own people did not receive him. Sadly, that continues to be true from this point in history all the way through history up till now. That our Creator's own creation, his rightful subjects, people that should be absolutely loyal to him, devoted to him, worshiping him, recognizing him for all his glory and and power and majesty. 
fail to recognize him, fail to receive him, and search all over the place for things that only he can be to them. Is that true of you? Are you here today kind of playing along, singing the songs, agreeing with the statements, knowing it's Christmas time after all, this is where you should be, you should be going to church, and yet not knowing this Savior, this Emmanuel? Is that true of you today? If so, you're in the right place because he stands ready to reveal himself to you again another time. And he stands ready for you to open your heart to him and all that he is. But he came to his own. The creator came to his creation, becoming his creation in order to save and redeem it. And yet they did not receive him. In 2004, uh, I was part of a missions trip to Lima, Peru. And we went all the way through the Andes Mountains and into some remote villages. But we also spent a lot of time in Lima, the capital city of Peru. And uh, right outside the edge of the city, there are these trash slums where the city has taken all their trash, all their refuse, and and they have mountains and mountains of, of trash Uh, I mean, it's these huge dumps that just go miles and miles and miles, and they're built up on levels. And in that situation, in that environment, people have made their homes, the poor of the city. And and so the slums are not even in the city. They're actually outside of the city, and, and the wealthy have built up this wall with barbed wire fence to keep the trash out. It's just incredible to see. And you wind through all these, these dusty, rock-filled streets, as, as they are, and you find amongst the, the, the piles and piles of trash, you find these little wooden shanty homes that people have built up to live in the middle of the trash. And yet, you find satellite dishes rigged up, and, and all these other things. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But they're living in the middle of filth. And some people have come in and they've tried to, to get them out of that environment and to get them the, the stability that they need to provide them the economics that they need to at least get out of that environment. Not that they'll be well off coming into the main part of the city, but people have tried to do that, to get them to come in. And, and other people from other countries have come in to even offer to adopt children out of that mess. And you know what happens most of the time? They say, no thanks. We're good where we are. We're good where we are. Then beyond Lima, outside of Lima itself, there's a community called Calo. And in this area, they have cemetery slums. This is where families live literally among the dead. And homes are found dotted amidst 20,000 tombs stacked on top of each other. And there's these winding corridors that go through these these very poorly constructed tombs and shallow graves. And the local authorities of that community have tried desperately to stop new burials from taking place due to obvious public health concerns. 
being, you know, in such close proximity to the deceased and there's disease and it's just a, a terrible situation. And despite their efforts, there's these illegal organizations that continue to sell plots in what is called the Santa Rosa Cemetery, and they sell them at a quarter of a price of other grave sites. So people are still doing that, and they're still doing the the burials there, and the number of, of dead just continues to grow. And with it, the problems and the dangers of those living there. And you'd think, well, why would anybody want to live there to begin with? And secondly, if they had a chance to get out, why wouldn't they take it? And when interviewed, several of the residents seem just not to mind living there. They don't mind the constant flies and and the threat of disease. For them, this graveyard is not a scary or dangerous place. It's simply home. It's what they know. And I think both of those situations, both of those environments, as repulsive as they are to you and me... I think that's a really good picture of the mess that Jesus came to when he came into our world. That's the title of today's message, With Us in Our Mess. Jesus, God with us. And the first area of focus as we focus on him being Emmanuel and the fact that he is with us, the the first focal point for us today is that he is with us in our mess. He came to a mess, and he's with us in our mess. And I think that all that was going on there that I saw in Peru and this other area that I did not actually tour but knew about, I think that pretty accurately describes what he came into when he came into our world and he came into our humanity. It was a mess. It was, it was dark with sin. It was repulsive with depravity. It was full of everything that he was not. And it was empty of all that he was. None of that took him by surprise, though, did it? I mean, he is, after all, very God. So the mess that he was coming into, seeing what he saw, none of that took him by surprise. He knew what he would find. He knew exactly what he was getting into. But he came anyway. He came willingly. He came for us. Like a fireman running into the fire rather than away from the flames. Like a a soldier running into the battle and the conflict rather than running away from it. And that's not our default human response, right? I mean, that's not what we do naturally. Naturally, we try to avoid the messy at all costs, right? We try to avoid the mess. We try to run from it. We don't want any, any part of it. We, we don't like the mess, and we don't like messy things and messy situations and messy relationships. None of us do. So naturally, humanly, we try to avoid it. We try to get away from it. I mean, we're, we're definitely aware of the mess in other people's lives, right? We're aware of our own mess from time to time. We, we know how, how easy it is for us to find ourselves in an absolute mess in life. 
We recognize that. We recognize that there's a mess in the world. We, we don't have to be told that it's a messy, dark world in which we live. We know that. We recognize that. We're reminded every day. As soon as you turn on the news, you, you read the paper, you log on to the computer, you're reminded, you're hit with it. And you definitely see it in other people's lives and you point that out. We, we all can do that very easily, very readily. We don't mind talking about it, about other people's mess, right? But we have made a science of hiding our own mess from others and avoiding getting close to theirs. We made a science out of it. Turned it into an art form. And that's easier than ever to do now in our modern culture because we can and so often do just retreat into our own little virtual digital worlds and we retreat into the the mirage and hall of mirrors that is the universe of social media, right? I mean, think, think about it. Social media, it's a contradiction in terms. It's constructed with the premise of giving you greater connection than ever before. We'll help you connect with more people. We'll help you in your relationships with other people. You'll be able to, to stay in contact with and in connection with people like you've never had before. But it's all a mirage. It's not really connection. It's a false connection. It's a a very surface level, very shallow connection where you're able to put filters on every aspect of your life. You don't want people to see your junk, your mess, no problem. Just filter it all up. But you have the absolute open door into their mess and you're able to comment on it and and you're able to just so easily uh, highlight other people's mess while making your your own life look mess-free. And we, we all do that. We hide our, our mess from others and we, we don't get down deep and we don't invest in one another and we don't get intentional about developing those relationships with one another. Why? Because that's not convenient. Why? Because that's messy. It's messy when I get to know you and you get to know me. It's messy when the guard goes down. It's messy when, when the drawbridge is let down and you're able to come into that fortress that you've built, and I do the same to you. It's not always going to be safe and predictable, and it's certainly not going to be clean and comfy. And because that's how we all want to live, we're very intentional about being guarded. And we're very intentional about avoiding any aspect of messiness. We retreat from it. We avoid it at all costs. And the wonderful multiple social media platforms just make it easier to do it. Easier than ever before. But not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. That's not how he operated. That's not how he operates. That's not the way he is. It's not the way he was when he came. It's not the way he was while he was here on earth. That's not the way he was as he ascended. That's not the way he is now. That's not the way he ever will be. Jesus willingly got and still willingly gets very, very messy. 
He entered into our mess. He enters in still to our mess, yours and mine, every day. We just read where he came into the world. He came to his own people. They didn't know him. They didn't receive him. But that didn't stop him. He came anyway. John 1, 12-13 says this, in a great contrast to the world not receiving him. Look at what it says. But to all who did receive him. See, it wasn't a lost cause. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. That's, that's legal, undisputed right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That means to you, Christian, that the Father looks at you. If you've come to Him through His Son, if you are in Jesus Christ this morning, if He's your Savior and Lord, if, if you've recognized Him as being who and what He is, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior that I need, the Savior that, that I've been looking for and I've just been looking for Him in the wrong places, the only Savior for all mankind, I've made Him my Savior. If that's true of you, then the Father looks at you and He looks at you with the same affection that he's always had for his very son. He looks at you with all of your mess, with all of your hideousness of sin and the darkness of your depravity. He looks at you and he isn't turned away. Oh, He isn't repulsed by what he sees because when he looks at you, you who are in Christ, he sees Christ. He sees his very son over top of you. And he loves you Like he loves Jesus. That's the miracle of Christmas. That's the the splendor of the season. That's what is so absolutely incredible about Jesus being Emmanuel. Here's what Paul wrote about this same concept, this awesome reality. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, he says this. When the fullness of time had come, I love that phrase. Think about when you're filling up a glass, you know, with, with a, a nice cold glass of water or, or something like that, and, and you're, you're filling it, and you're filling it, filling it, and then it reaches the top, and, that, and that's when you're, it's ready, you know, for you to take and for you to drink. It, it's like that. Time was building, time was gathering, momentum was building all through the ages, from the garden on, as soon as mankind fell, as soon as they, we sinned through Adam and rebelled against God, the time started ticking. But it wasn't to our doom. It was time ticking to the redemption of mankind. And so time kept building. The glass started filling and filling and filling. And then when it finally got full to the brim, the Father said, that's it, now go. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'm on my way. I go willingly. I go with love to redeem and rescue my creation. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Think about that for a second. Any of us who have children, especially the women who bore them and who gave birth to them, know that birth is a messy affair, right? It's not like 
all the movies where they go in, you know, they're ready to have the baby. Yeah, there's a little bit of crying and pain and and brief amount of screaming, maybe. But then it's all over. And miracle of miracles, the mom sits there with her makeup done and her hair completely in place. And the baby's just there and it's all, everything's great. Thankfully, thankfully, none of those things portray the, the reality of how all that goes. And, and moms and dads alike know it is a messy, messy, messy thing. But it's also a beautiful thing, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a miraculous thing. But it doesn't mean that it's without mess. And, and that's exactly what is true of, of Jesus. Think about this. God the Son, the eternal Word, the creator of the entire universe coming into our humanity by way of real, natural human birth. I mean, he entered Mary's body, you know, as a fetus and developed and grew and then came through the birth canal. Think about that. With all the mess of delivery, without any anesthesia, on the part of Mary. Remember where he was born, where she delivered him? Wasn't exactly the most sanitary of environments, right? A cave where animals were kept. It was messy. So from the very beginning, his experience in humanity as the God-man was one of mess. But it was also one of beauty. Because look at what happened. Look at the reason he came. Look at what happened as a result of him being born of woman. Let's continue. Born under the law. He, he came, born of woman, born under the law, under the weight of the law, to redeem those, to, to buy back, to rescue those who were under the law. The weight of the law, that crushing weight that no one could lift. No matter what we tried or try, we can't lift the weight of law from our shoulders. We can't keep it. We can't fulfill it. And so as a result, the crushing consequence of not fulfilling God's holy, righteous, just law, of not fulfilling those requirements, of not obeying even one command of God's law, the crushing consequence of that is death. And that's what everybody is born into. Every human is born into that dilemma, into that diagnosis. Born dying. Born under death. And so Jesus came, God the Son, the Creator, born of woman, born under the law, to rescue out from the law all those who were under it. So that, here's the reason for that, here's what resulted, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is complete, irreversible change of status. 
with all the rights and privileges that come with it. It's what the emperors from time to time did in Rome. When they saw certain citizens that had some value to them, they would adopt them out from their their circumstance and out of their situation. They'd receive a name change. They'd receive a status change. And no one could ever dispute that. What they were ceased to be. They had a complete, total new reality whenever that happened, whenever the emperor would adopt someone into his family. That's exactly what happened with us. For you who are in Christ, you have been adopted by Almighty God. And Jesus' Father now looks at you and calls you son or daughter through Jesus, through what he did. And now you have a complete name change. You have a complete status change. And no one can reverse it. No charge of the enemy has any ground to stand. Just like what happened in ancient Rome, whatever crimes or taxes or anything that were attached to the name of the person being adopted, it all just went away. It was voided. It was nullified. And no one could bring a charge against them anymore. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? The answer is no one, because all that was canceled. All that was done away with. You have a new name, a new status, a new life. And you have the very righteousness of the Son of God attached to you. Adoption as sons. All because Jesus came and became the Son of Man. And since, since Jesus came to us as one of us, he is able to completely relate to us and identify with us. He was able to walk in the mess of humanity's sin and weakness without, and this is so key, without actually getting polluted or infected by it. He was able to walk in the midst of it, identify with it, experience it without being himself polluted or infected by it. And that's exactly what we need. We needed him to do that. We needed that kind of Savior. We need that kind of great high priest who understands perfectly the struggles that we have, the weakness that is ours, the weakness of our flesh, because he also became flesh, but yet remained without sin so that he was able to be the ransom for sin that we needed and to be the great high priest before the Father that we needed. That's exactly what Hebrews 4.15 is all about. That's what it describes. And it's a really, really great verse to know. I I just urge you, um, make that maybe one of your your goals this Christmas season. Get started before January 1 and and just memorize that verse, Hebrews 4.15. So powerful. So, so important to, uh, to remember, to know, to recall. It's everything. It's everything. But here's another really important thing to keep in mind. Hebrews 4.15 talks about you know, Jesus experiencing what we experienced and walking where we walked and understanding where we're coming from. But listen, Jesus didn't come just to experience humanity's mess. He came to give us hope in the midst of it and ultimately to rescue us from it. 
as we celebrate Christmas and we, we see manger scenes and we talk about Jesus being born as a human, we need to understand and remember this truth. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. That's the whole point of Christmas. That's the whole point of Jesus' birth. That's the whole point of the nativity. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. He came to make us new. He didn't come to just see how it was to be us. He didn't come to make us better versions of ourselves. He came to make us completely new. And he did it by becoming one of us so that he could take that body, that real human body that he added to his divinity so he could take it to the cross, put it to death, and with it put to death all of our sin and guilt before a holy God. Just, just think about that. I mean, it's, it's a very abstract concept, so I know it's hard to really grasp and think about, but, but just try. Think about it. God, the Son... God the Son, the only Son of the Father, equal in all of His attributes, equal in all of His holiness, equal in all of His power, equal in all of His eternity, looking at sin the same way His Father does, hating it, not being able to stand it or be part of it, and yet, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, becoming sin for us. God the Son, the maker and sustainer of all life and all matter, adding to his divinity our humanity and the mess that goes with that, taking that on to himself. The spotless Lamb of God, adding the mess of our sin to his existence, to his experience. Walking through it, right along with us, the muck and mess and putridness of our sin revealing himself to us all the while, like he did with his original disciples. He does to you and me. He reveals himself over and over with all of his his glorious grace and his perfect righteousness, and he makes it available to us. He invites the messy sinner into his perfection, into his righteousness, into his beauty. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't retreat from it. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't say, no, you're, you're unclean. Stay away. He says, come, come into me. Know me. Walk with me. Let me walk with you. That's what John 1.14 says. John 1.14, and the word, Jesus, the eternal word, the expression and revealer of all that the Father is, all the invisible things about God, Jesus reveals. And Hebrews tells us that, that God was pleased, overjoyed, to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ bodily. That's why Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, you, you've seen who and what the Father is. You've seen what he's like if you've seen me. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's literally pitched a tent with us. He camped out with us. It, it goes back to the days of the, the wilderness wanderings with the children of Israel when they, when they put up tents and dwelt in tents and they had the tabernacle, which was really a big tent where the presence of God was. But they could only, remember, only go into it one time to the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest alone. One time a year. This says that the Word became flesh 
and tabernacled among us. He made his home with us in our midst. And we, John says, have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and I think he was probably looking back to that moment of transfiguration when Jesus peeled back time and space for a little bit. And he, he peeled back his humanity and he unveiled himself and he showed Peter and James and John his glory, his divine nature for just a little bit. Remember, I think John was looking back to that. And he saw that. But I think it was more than that. I think John understood at the time of this writing that Jesus' glory was just as much on display in his humanity every time he touched a leper that was unclean and healed them. Every time he opened the eyes of the blind and healed them. Every time he looked at someone and said, your sins are forgiven. Go. Go in peace. Every time Jesus ministered, spoke, did anything, his glory was on display. And the same can be true of us. We too today can still very much behold his glory. We don't have to see him right in front of us to behold his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's available to us every day. And listen, church, it, it, it wasn't a one-and-done thing. Jesus, you know, becoming Emmanuel and becoming man, it wasn't a one-and-done thing. Like, he did it, and it's over, and then he went back to, to just being only divinity. It's, it's really like the old hymn, uh, Great as Thy Faithfulness says, As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And that's true of Jesus. He will forever now be the God-man. From Bethlehem when he entered humanity, all the way through the rest of eternity, he will always have humanity as part of his divinity. It's just incredible to think about. Hebrews 13.8 says this, and this is such good news for you and me. This is why we can have hope. This is why we can have confidence in who Jesus is. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and forever. That's not true of anyone else but him. He's the only one who will always be 100% reliable, 100% dependable, 100% consistent. He's the only one. He will always be Emmanuel. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who and what you are. I thank you for being Emmanuel, for being willing to leave the perfection and glory of heaven, for being willing to, as your servant Paul said of you in Philippians 2, for being willing to not view your equality with God, the Father, which was yours, which you had, as something to be used for your own advantage but rather you emptied yourself of all of your divine rights and privileges and you took on to yourself the form of a slave and you became obedient. You who are the king of all kings and lord of all lords, you became obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted you, Jesus. He has exalted your name, the name of Jesus, above every other name. That at your name, every knee should bow, every knee, and every tongue confess that you are Lord, to the glory of the Father who sent you. May that be true of us in this place. May we exalt you in every part of our lives. May we not just celebrate and be in awe of the fact that you are Emmanuel just around Christmas time when it's easy to do. May we embrace the fact that you are Emmanuel every moment of our lives. And may we worship you and honor you and submit to you and say no to self and sacrifice ourselves before you, all of which is our very reasonable, very minimal act of worship in view of your great mercy, in view of your amazing gift of yourself being our Emmanuel. And I pray if there's anyone that has not yet surrendered their life to you, that has not yet received you as their Emmanuel, may today be the day they do that. May they be born again, knowing that's why you were born to begin with. May they experience the newness of life that only you can provide and did provide. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to say the words of that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We don't have to to beg and plead. We don't have to say, please come, please come, because you did. You came. And you're still with us. Thank you, Jesus. May we, please, help us to be with you. May we be with you in all we do. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen.